Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon. In this episode, we have Tom Pardikas, who is the co-founder and CEO of GameSense Sports, developers of technology that tests and trains fast in-game decisions of athletes. And in this episode, we go through how Tom started this company, how they've grown it over time, getting professional sports teams to work with them initially through, through connections they have, why he decided to go through the Techstars Accelerator how he's gone about building trust with the customers he has for GameSense Sports, and so much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies and their collaborative process, a la carte offering and month to month fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Tom Pardikas, co-founder and CEO of GameSense Sports. Tom, welcome to the show. Justin, thank you so much for having me. Excited to talk with you. Yeah, and and looking at your company with GameSense and there's so many things to kind of dive into, I'm curious because there's a lot of different products and kind of different offerings. For people who aren't familiar, what is GameSense? What are you doing with this company now? GameSense really is the a way to train the fast, reactive decisions that athletes make constantly on the court, the ice, the field, the pitch, and that are essential to athletic success. So when we think about, okay, what, what's an example of this? Easy one would be a baseball hitter trying to you know hit a small white, white round object moving through the air at about 90 plus miles an hour spinning <laughs> with a, a, a round stick, right? Yeah really difficult, very fast, non-conscious action, decision and action that these guys have to, to do. And we see how difficult that is because if you, you know, if you're successful three out of 10 times, we consider you very good. Yeah. Um, so, but that's a, a really difficult decision should be physically impossible, but we're able to do it because we can anticipate accurately where that ball is going to be on, be based on based on where we see it in the past that makes sense yeah we're making decisions of that that baseball where when do i need to put my bat there at what time when that ball is first leaving the pitcher's hands and prior with that in mind being that's the goal that's what you're trying to accomplish and helping improve that i got have to like how are you doing this i know you have you have videos and such but like i want to know a little bit more behind the scenes of this before we kind of dive into some other topics mass repetition increasing levels of difficulty uh, those are what's uh, needed, and then immediate feedback. So we're just taking advantage of naturally how we learn. Uh, these videos that we're showing are, are are highly specialized, so they're from a point of view of the, the hitter in this case, but they're cut off early, and that's because these actions have to start happening well in advance of you actually moving. So by focusing only on the very beginning of a scenario you begin to pick up the cues that, that tell you, okay, what's going to happen as a result of this scenario, these cues I'm picking up. You interact with these videos over and over and over again. We're, we're basically building up a database in our brain so that when you see an action, you're very good at, at anticipating what's the outcome. An example, not nearly as fast, but an example would be a master chess, chess player comes up to the board and uh, looks at it quickly and says, okay, boom puts it down. I don't know what, what these moves would be or what they're called, but he puts it down right away. And they're like, oh, that's a good move. He knows or she knows right away yeah. just because they have these patterns built up in their brain. They can readily access and say, okay, based on this, this is a likely outcome. 
And so we, we provide these to the athletes. Uh, again, they, they are interacting with them. They're training on them. It's just like going to the gym, lifting weights, just like doing anything else we do to become better athletes. It's just another uh, activity you do. And um, they get better at these really fast reactive skills. With the actual platform, so when, when these athletes are interacting, I'm curious as to like how how they're interacting, what that what that looks like from someone actually using using Game Sense because uh, I see the value in this. I was a former athlete myself, played college football, and like I see the value in I mean this type of thing, and especially if you're looking at a sport like baseball. How are they interacting with it on the video side, or what are they what are they doing once they're using the product itself? Right now, the the key here is experience. You got to see these over and over and over again. <laughs> course so the the a phone is a really nice convenient uh, conduit for that right platform so you'll go on as an athlete you select let's say we're working on pitch recognition so we're going to select a pitcher we know this guy has a a nice slider good change up and a fastball about 80 85 miles an hour select him we go and we can choose our level of difficulty and that difficulty level is really breaks down to how much of this pitch are you going to see so the more you get to see, the easier it becomes. And then I'm just watching videos. So I see the pitch, he winds up, he delivers, boom, cuts off. Now, all right, that was a slider for a, a strike up and in. And then I get the immediate feedback. That was right. And I can watch a replay that shows that entire pitch coming into the plate. And I'm building this, this recognition up, especially with the immediate feedback. That's really important. Okay, no, that I was wrong. That's That was actually a, a change up that was high. Now I can go back and see, okay, what is that? Oh, I see the entire pitch and I can see now I go back and say, oh, okay, I see this grip now. Okay. Now in the future, when I see that grip, hopefully I can recognize that and understand here comes a change up. And you go through five minutes a day, go, you know, you get, you get about 30 pitches in again, if we're just talking about pitch recognition or serve recognition and that, and you've just done some training. It's just like you've gone and you've just hit off the tee for 30 minutes. Right. Just like any athlete would do with their training, shooting basketball for a certain amount of time and all all of that. It it, it seems like, yeah, the mental mental side of training is everything. I mean, in terms of uh, as it's evolved, especially now looking at 2020 and how the the mental side, whether it be from being able to focus in the actual game situations in something like this case with game sense and being able to find those minute details that allow you to increase your percentages of success a little bit more, which is everything in a sport like baseball. I have to know, how did this get started? How did Game Sense get started? Because obviously it's come a long way, it seems like. How did it get started in the first place, though? Well, this technology has been out there for about four decades. The technology comes out of the sports, sports science labs, kind of dancing around, okay, what makes an expert an expert? Right? How do these guys make these decisions, fast decisions that novices have no idea about? And... Um, and what developed was this, what's called temporal occlusion, which kind of I went over earlier and spatial occlusion, but temporal occlusion, meaning we're going to cut it off at one point and then we're going to anticipate the outcome. The problem is that nobody, 40 years, right? Never heard anything like <laughs> this, I assume. Yeah. And, and it seems so obvious, but that's often the, the disconnect between science and application, commercial, commercialism. So it was out there. People were certainly doing it from an academic standpoint. Um, there were some early companies out there who tried to create something more with this and, and apply this. Uh, and then I came out of psychology, biological psychology, studying really reflexive actions, and but also being an athlete for much of my life. Coming out of, of that program, realizing that I really did not want to become a professor or do research per se, but I really wanted to apply all of this stuff that I've been learning. And in doing so, I started in kind of the, down the sports performance, sports psychology realm, uh, uh, helping, trying to help athletes with the, the traditional uh, sports improvement, sports psychology, sports performance. And doing that, love, loving that kind of stuff, because I, I really liked that realm of it too, especially when you start to look at like physiological response, heart rate, yeah, response, right? I love that. Um, but I saw this opportunity that was, it seemed to me, wide open, which was decision-making. It's also psychological, obviously, cognitive. Yeah. 
but something we've never thought about. And certainly we think a lot about strategy, but you're right. All right. It's a three, two count. This guy likes to throw a lot of fastballs up and in during that. Be ready for that. Or yeah. it's a third and four. They come out in a three receiver set. What percentages are we going to be looking at? What are they going to, what are they going to run? That was already out there because we have all this data that helps us. But that's not what I what we were thinking or what I was thinking at that point. We were thinking about these really fast, reactive decisions that you can't rely on stats per se because you don't have time to think about that stuff. So these fast, reactive decisions, what we were really interested in, nobody had been doing it. Uh, I was kind of – the first one I actually started thinking about was actually baseball and pitch recognition, yeah. and swinging and, and recognizing that that baseball coming in, I played baseball for a while and I started researching people and a couple of names continued, continued coming up gray out of Arizona state and a guy named fatty. And I didn't even know how to pronounce it at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing some really cool stuff. Um, kind of in the VR realm and not in the VR realm, right? Cause you're trying to think about, okay, how do we replicate this? How do we kind of think about this whole scenario? And one of my other partners who I was working with at the time, we were doing more of the physiology and more of um, general perceptual cognitive training, uh, said, oh, I know Peter. I know Dr. Fatty. I said, well, like heck, let's, let's talk to him. So we ended up all meeting together down in uh, Naples, Florida. He was on a road trip. I was down there visiting uh, other partner, Len Zykowski. And our first foray into this, we decided, well, let's, let's just see what we can do here, was actually tennis serve recognition. So we filmed a tennis server hitting, thinking about how we could start to apply this. Then we were all wrangled into another company uh, <laughs> to try to decipher just this problem we're talking about, which is the ability to do, this guy wanted to do virtual baseball, which is actually a really interesting idea. So to kind of compete virtually with people throwing and hitting virtual objects. And we thought that was really cool, but we saw this other opportunity, this fast reactive decision-making kind of just sitting there that was a lot easier to implement and uh, wide open, right? Nobody was touching it. And I think he was not really interested in that. So he, this, we basically, we never worked, we didn't go very far with that company. Um, unfortunately, I don't know what, what happened to it even, but we came out of that experience thinking, man, we just need to do this ourselves. And we didn't really have any business acumen, which, <laughs> which showed its head pretty quickly. Um, but I was the youngest, the us to do anything. So I was tasked with, with trying to figure out the business end of it more while Peter was tasked and Len was tasked with trying to figure out the science end of it more. But really we were, we were just going at this together. There was no, there was not really a whole lot of division truthfully, because we both had visions in both of those realms. And, uh, from the start, we were able to create a rudimentary, uh, MVP, really rudimentary though. But we were lucky to get in with some MLB teams and some major college teams right from the start. How'd you do that? <laughs> it's a big deal. It's like a, you can't just gloss over that. <laughs> How'd you get in with these with these professional teams, Tom? Yeah, networks, connections, just like you we were talking about earlier, right? It's not what you yeah. know, it's who you know. So we knew some of these people. They were familiar with Peter's work in this area. And so they decided to give it a go. And that helped us. And, and a lot of chance too. a lot of, um, just like Peter tells a story about meeting some guy in a bus or pardon me, a train who happened to be at the general manager for the Southern, uh, Illinois miners and being <laughs> able to start filming and collecting data and content with them. You know, he had never heard of anything like this, but he was intrigued enough to, yeah, let's try this. And it worked. So that that's always a good convert, right? Yeah. And what the, you mentioned the MVP, very, very basic. I mean, what was that? What did it consist of at the time? The MVP. It was all web. The, the, the streaming was horrendous. You couldn't <laughs> download anything. So you relied on really high end internet because these are really big videos. The UX UI is, um, 
not quality, let's say. Yeah. Uh, very basic. Uh, bugs all over the place, you know? And we were able to convince these guys to keep on trying it and to work through those bugs. I think, I, I know, we only had six pitchers at the time, which is not much. You get pretty bored with those guys pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, but it was enough to convince people that this was something legitimate. And from there, we were able to expand uh, the number of the content, right? How many pitches we had. We were able to improve the UX. We were able to release then uh, iOS, mobile device that allowed you to download the drills now at this point. Yeah. So you weren't relying on the streaming. Um, yeah, continued improvement, continued features. We had leaderboards, all, everything we could do. Um, we're still working on that. Uh, that that's still uh, a thorn in our side that we need to solve, and we're trying to solve by making it more interactive, better, expanding content. You know, everything that our users want out of yeah, it. Yeah, the game the gamification seems like a really big piece potentially. People who are just competitive and like you, you want to practice. So if you have some com competition, I know from using apps like Duolingo for language learning, where there's leaderboards and stuff, that definitely kept me going way more than anything else. Uh, and it seems like with this type of thing too in this situation, like you want to be better and with working with athletes who are already super competitive <laughs> to have that gamification type of piece would, would be really interesting. One thing I want to go back to yeah, quickly absolutely. though, is the, on the tech side, who is building the tech, who is building the, the site, the, the app as you went along, like how'd you get the tech side built? We were able to partner with one of my old friends who was a programmer and convince him to start helping us build this. Uh, so that was fun. Named Paul Kohlhoff. Thanks so for right with us from the start. Yeah. And one thing too, like with this, I mean, we look at entrepreneurs building companies, there's the idea of bootstrapping and raising money. There's obviously many different options. There's family and friends you can go through in terms of trying to raise even like just a loan. How did you finance it initially, Tom? Great question. And that is a big question. So we had some micro loans from friends and family, but I mean, micro 5,000. So with two of those, so, so 10,000. Yeah. We essentially built this originally. Not much, right? Um, and then from there, you know, you, from, like I said, from the start, we were able to convince people to do it and we got paid by them. Uh, a lot more than we would have been paid these days and we charge these days. But it uh, buoyed us and allowed us to start developing more, paying people to, to, to do what we needed them to do, uh, get more content. Uh, so yeah, it was really $10,000 from the very beginning and then customer financed. And then we recently uh, did a little more bridge round too uh, to get a, some more money in, in the coffers for us to develop some more, uh, still customer financed. And now we're raising a seed round or we're just beginning that process to, to bump it up to the next level. Yeah, and that's something. I mean, I just talked to um, I've talked to entrepreneurs every day, but one of the ones uh, with with the episode that went out live today, which we're recording this, this will go out later, but on September twenty third, uh, and he's raised thirty plus million. And it's just there's so many stages you go through in that in that funding, like going from the initial. He mentioned it was, it was uh, Holger, the founder of Blinkist. He mentioned when he started. You know, they got one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which you know you mentioned your ten thousand, like one hundred fifty thousand. They thought that was like, oh my god, how did this happen? How do we get? How do we get one hundred fifty thousand? Like, this is like, someone gave us this much money to build this company, yeah. and it's just we hear these evaluations these valuations and how much people are fundraising now, and it makes it seem like, well, that's what everyone's doing, but you don't always you don't start with that much necessarily. It is these things that go unsaid, like the first ten grand you got, which I'm sure was so helpful uh, oh, along yeah. the way. And one thing too, with going through an accelerator, how did you decide to go through an accelerator? Well, I think there's a value to it. Um, and I think, and I know we're seeing that value now. We've just, just gotten out of it. An accelerator is kind of like investors in some ways. And the early people you work with and partners even you work with are customers that they're going to help you in this path and honing what you're doing. So you're not spinning your wheels or going down blind alleys. So you're working with people that have been there and done that and can really help you. Techstars, I think, is a, is a tremendous uh, accelerator. Absolutely. Um, and especially when it's a sports-specific accelerator. So our connections, um, the networking we had, the knowledge we gained from everybody involved in it is invaluable and has been invaluable. Another thing I've heard about it 
too, is that this is not just a kind of a one-time thing. This is going to continue. And we've already seen that as well. So the accelerator was, we got just lucky. I don't think anybody expects to get into Techstars, truthfully. <laughs> uh, so we were really surprised uh, by that and, and had to rearrange some things as a result of that, but we happily did. Unfortunately, right when we were supposed to go down, so this is in Australia, Melbourne, yeah. as they say, just right before we were supposed to go down there for three months, which would have been pretty cool, uh, they shut their borders and the, the <laughs> program became virtual. Wow. Um, yeah. But again, incredibly valuable, even in a virtual format. Yeah, and I've interviewed a number of people who have gone through Techstars and really harp on that network and that being you know, one of the biggest value adds for them for going through an accelerator. One thing I have to ask about though, in, before going to Techstars, what, I mean, you said you was you know, lucky you got in or, you know, it's hard to get in these accelerators, especially the top ones that just accept, you know, a small percentage. What kind of traction did you have when you got into Techstars or where were, where was the business at, at that point that you got in? Yeah, we were developing. I mean, that we didn't need to be in Techstars to continue growing. And we didn't think, I mean, we, we, did we apply for certain accelerators prior to that? Yeah, but not seriously ever. Uh, and this one, we just continue to refine that process, get better and better, know what we're doing, talking about. Um, but we were going full steam. I think we needed where we're at right now is not super different than where we were at prior to Techstars. I think that the goals have more or less remained the same. Um, but it is definitely supercharged us getting out of the gates here. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, there's no doubt it's, um, it's, it's, it's added quite a bit of velocity to our to our trajectory that we were heading on before it um so that's what we were looking for is that boost yeah no for sure and, and one of the things that just to go back on uh, a little bit too with 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 early on in the business i mean you mentioned being able to grow off of revenue as well after the, after the initial ten thousand, that helped build out the mvp and then through your connections getting the professional sports teams on board what was the business model? How, I mean, you know, you said you're getting paid. What was the business? How are you charging people? What, what was the revenue model? I'm curious about that too. Yeah. At the very beginning, it was B2B. That's what we were doing. We always had this, this grandiose vision of B2C, but that is really difficult to do. Yeah. It's a longer sales cycle with the B2B, no doubt. But you're talking about bigger checks, bigger uh, you know, opportunities there. Uh, so we, we've always were B2B. B2C was an afterthought. And we're actually going to more of a B to B to C model now. So we're looking to find large distributors. So in baseball and softball examples would be entities that put on uh, large tournaments, showcase events yep. that bring in you know thousands of people, those kind of guys, um, even uh, facilities that train individuals. Well, that's a little bit on the smaller end of that. And then governing bodies is another one that we're trying to uh, interact with. So on the tennis side, that's people like uh, USTA or Tennis Australia. Uh, we're fortunate enough to already be partnered with Softball Australia. So those guys are in charge of softball for all of Australia. It's a nice partner to have. Yeah. That we feel is the, the best bang for, your, for our buck. It still is tough and probably even getting tougher to go directly after consumers. Um, another thing that we found is that because we have a new market, a new product and are, and are opening up a new market, really, people don't even know what the heck this is. Yeah. So there's a long education uh, component to this that we have to do. And that's really tough to do, we think, with, you know, just advertising and, and trying to get to people one to one. But you do need this. Uh, uh, networking again, back to that, the word of the day, right? <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> people are talking about it, right? And a lot of people are exposed to it and coaches are talking about it. And then that helps proliferate that and get, and people get comfortable with these concepts and, and what we're doing. Tom, on the educational side, I mean, how are you going about that? You know, you just briefly talked a little bit about, but I, I would like to dive a little bit deeper into how you're going about educating uh, people about this when it is kind of this, this new product in terms of how you're doing it. Cause I know there's other entrepreneurs who have ideas and similar thing where it's like, it's something that's new. There's a big educational piece of it. And I've interviewed some people in the past as well. on that same thing, how are you going about it for game sense in terms of the educational component of it then? Yeah, I think, you know, we're not so different than other people. We're trying to create content, uh, put that content out there in the world that people can readily access. 
social media, on our website, um, getting bringing people into the website. You know, one thing we see is that nobody's really searching for pitch recognition per se, right? Yeah. That's not a big search term. <laughs> uh, serve recognition. But people are looking at reaction and decisions. And so we'll, we try to bring those people in and, and that, that seems to work pretty well. I think we can, you know, we just got to keep on pushing that boulder up the hill. People understand it more and more. I think the distribution helps in that way too, that regard, where we can uh, put that out in, into the, in the hands of our partners. They can put it out to people and it adds instant credibility. Uh, the content needs to be palatable enough. Yeah. And I think another way that we've really done, tried to do this, and this is a key, I think actually, is creating a metric, creating something that people care about, that this means. So, you know, we talk about 40 time or 40 yard dash or for time of football and, and other sports too. How fast are you? Right. Well, that's something that means something. And that's something that anybody can go out and measure. What we don't have right now are these metrics. How well do you recognize blitzes? How well do you recognize cover two as a quarterback? Right? Yep. How well do you recognize a run or pass as a linebacker? Those kind of metrics. Those are very difficult to measure. So, But they're not, actually. Traditionally, they are. We can measure those. So by establishing a metric, a test out there, which is, again, uh, bolstered and helped by our partnership program, people start to recognize this more and I think are more appreciative and uh, understand the value of what we're, we're trying to do. And so once we get to that point, then education, I don't want to say full saturation, but depending on when, how, how <laughs> common it is, but then I think we've done our job to the point where people are asking about this, right? Our, yeah. Our, are interested in what this is and, and how do I get better at it? It's part of the, the, your profile as an athlete. One of the things you talked about, Tom, was this idea of distribution and having, you know, whether it be these big showcases that have tons of athletes and, and coaches at, uh, or, or even like the smaller gyms potentially with these trainers more directly. How do you think about the distribution in terms of almost like getting validation from very, highly trustworthy sources that can then help you in terms of your validation where people say, Oh, this coach and this coach and this coach recommend game sense where that leads you to have more credibility. Like how do you look at that side of things with game sense? Well, I think that's, that's incredibly important. That's exactly what we're trying to do. It, it's, it's difficult to earn trust and that's, we know that's a, a huge factor in behavior. So if we're trying to get people to buy and, and, and use our product, they need that trust. If coaches are doing it, because those are the people they're turning to anyways, right? Yeah. When athletes are trying to get better, they're turning to experts. So once experts believe in this, use it, which which a, a portion of the population absolutely do, but those are the early adopters still. We're, I think right now, and this is when you ask, but we're, we're crossing that chasm a bit. Yeah. Right? Into the mainstream and where people readily accept that. But early adopters are, are definitely uh, into it and, and are prophetizing and, you know, evangelize evangelizing that's even a word <laughs> what evangelizing yeah i can't ah, we'll roll with it yeah, they're evangelists. <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> they are they're out there talking to people they are the people uh, that people are listening to anyway so that's a perfect perfect scenario for us and, and once any product can achieve that that's really where they want to be Oh, absolutely. And those are those testimonials you can use for your marketing, your, your validation, uh, moving forward for a long time until you see these products and you'll see people do, you know, beta tests or, or beta launches, or they have a special group that starts because then they can use that feedback and those insights from those first people then to sell the next people. And then it kind of goes from there. And I, I thought of like Eric Cressy right away, of course, from like sports performance, baseball standpoint, uh, with this in terms of thinking about who he works with, um, I just there's so many people like that that are out there like i used to i have an exercise sports science degree from undergrad and um oh. i interned with todd durkin at fitness quest 10 we worked with a lot of athletes and whenever he had his stamp on something i mean people definitely cared about that and because he has a following it was like oh yeah whatever he says people are, are down with and that's how you can get growth pretty quickly through working with people like that it seems like as, as well and and with your company it's been uh around five years or so i mean how has 
the dynamic with your your co-founders and like your team how has that uh, gone as you as you've grown like how has the your team expanded how have you kind of uh, approached hiring for the team well we've definitely expanded we we've added uh, actually a new c level um, person that was about a year ago and that was a great move uh, more business minded business experience um, and then from there we've always just done kind of contractors and as we move in to as we gain more money, get funding, that will, that will certainly change. We're, we're anxious to, to bring either these contractors in as full-time employees or to go find full-time employees. I think the dynamics are always changing. And as you get, how could they not, right? As a, as a yeah. small organization, you have a specific set of dynamics and uh, I don't know, protocols. As you get bigger, those have to change. Uh, there are certain things that you don't want to change. But other things absolutely have to change. I was just actually listening about was it Reed from Netflix who yeah Reed Hastings it. yeah Reed Hastings. Um, you know how do you keep this innovation? He, I think he was he was talking about it's he sees that when companies grow larger, that they can't maintain this innovation because basically large organizations need structure, right? They need some type of well, organization. That's why it's an organization. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that's just how, how it's always worked. So how do you maintain that innovation? How do you maintain that variety and spontaneity in in these organizations? And that's tough. And and the, the jury's still out for Netflix if they can if they continue to grow, if they can maintain that. Seems like they've done it all right so far. And what he said is that you always have to be comfortable with flying I don't think he said this exactly, but I'll translate. Flying close to the sun, I think, you know? Yeah. That this could, you, you need that chaos, but it's got to be ordered chaos. So things have, have certainly changed and they'll continue to change. Um, and I like it and I don't like it at the same time. <laughs> the organization is, is good. You need to be organized, but, you know, it's almost like you become too structured and too rigid in your approaches to problems and people. Yeah. And to your point, I, I think it's interesting to look at companies that, if they if they don't like I say if they don't innovate I mean you die there's a whole thing around that and in a similar vein you think about media companies I'm thinking about Disney I mean if Disney hadn't decided to really go on the streaming route I mean you don't predict a global pandemic obviously but when they shut down all their I mean think about where they would be if they hadn't tried to continue to innovate to continue to expand and do different things I mean they would be so screwed right now and it just look be. at the environment and that's because you have to kind of constantly be thinking about what that next thing is going to be. Um, and, and I don't know if it was a, a Jeff Bezos thing or someone mentioning about basically, you know, trying to put yourself out of business with your, with your innovation, you know, thinking about those things that would potentially put yourself out of business with, with other competitors. Like how can you innovate on that yourself? And then in, in doing that, you find more and more ways to grow and you may have to cannibalize eventually uh, parts of your business through that help you then grow overall. And it's just, there's so many decisions kind of to be made around that. And, and with game sense, with you know, have a number of different products. You mentioned uh, different sports as well. How are you looking at where you want to take this technology in terms of what sports you'll offer it? Uh, I'm really curious about that because I know your baseball and, and softball seem to be your sweet spot. But how do you look at like, different different sports as well? Yeah, good question. Um, well, this this is so applicable to so many sports. So, baseball and softball have been the beachhead for this yeah and it within baseball and softball we've only talked about pitch recognition but in reality pickoff moves are the exact same idea grounders fly balls exact same mm -hmm. idea yeah so we could go deeper into these each of these sports pickoff moves don't, don't apply to softball um number one number two we've just finished a pilot with tennis australia for our new tennis serve recognition app. And that's that's pretty cool. We've, we really enjoyed making that. And we built this platform purposely to be agnostic where we can kind of plug and play. Um, so the tennis is now out there. That's still in a beta phase and we're gonna continue to, to develop that. I think as a, a founder, you've always gotta be hesitant to, to overextend resources 
So I think uh, we're probably going to stay pat in these three sports for a bit, really yeah. dive deep and, and establish ourselves in these. Who knows? I mean, if we have a lot of money coming out, we, we could definitely expand in, into other sports. But we'll, we'll probably really focus on those. In the future, though, there's a lot of applications. So these are these baseball pitch recognition, serve, softball pitch recognition, tennis serve recognition. Those are really fast reactions, and those are called ballistic speed decisions. So, Justin, let me ask you, what, where do you think would be another application to, to something traveling at you at a high speed that you have to <laughs> interact with? <laughs> well, I say I'm half cheating. I'd say volleyball would be another potential one or soccer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and so soccer is a huge market, obviously. And soccer could be applicable to some other things. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, one of the most popular and widely played sports in the world is another really good opportunity, and that's cricket. Cricket, yeah. Yep. So that we could see an expansion of that. Volleyball is definitely on our list. Uh, soccer or football, as they call it in the rest of the world, is definitely on our list as well. Um, expanding from there, you can start to think about, okay, what what are we still talking about the same decisions when a point guard is dribbling up uh, the court? He's at the top of the key, um, and there's a, a defender here, here, and here, and teammates here, here, and here, and they are initiating their actions. What do you do? Yeah. Okay, those are the same kind of decisions. These are called patterns of play, right? And so this is equivalent to when things are moving in a specific way, they, you know, a, a football play sets up like this or, or a soccer play or a basketball play. Those are other areas that we really want to get into as well. And then another thing is esports. we feel is capable, yeah. capable of, of diving into that realm too. And then further uh, continue this expansion because re this really does apply to so many things. Uh, law enforcement. Um, armed forces, even the interview process, right? So yeah. if you have a specific uh, body language or facial expressions or speech patterns, those mean things. And you're making these decisions, these kind of non-conscious decisions are influencing your behavior and then actions. So we feel that there's a lot of, lot of ways this can go. Now in terms of the future, as technology evolves, I, um, this really is a replication of experience when you get down to it. So we're trying to simulate some portion of something you're doing, right? Experience and action you're doing. Right. So this lends itself ultimately to immersive environments, right? VR caves. And that's where it will go at one point for sure. That's, but that's, I think far down in the future, that's still not, that's certainly a few years out, I would say. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. And I think it's even further out when we start to consider the access people have to the technology. So it's a decade out before, I don't know, a tenth of the population has VR headsets. <laughs> they can do anything with this, much less cave. Yeah, unless there's a monumental up, you know, increase in the in the technology where the price is so cheap and the experience is so good that it evolved before then. But yeah, as as it currently looks and how it's going, like it seems a far ways out. <laughs> yeah, and and that that could be. You're exactly right. It all depends on cost and, and the ability to get in the technology and the fidelity of it. So that could be different. I don't see that again. The widespread distribution. What we see too is that phones are wide widely spread throughout the world. Right, And this is something that is still pretty good and still can really help you quite a bit. So we're really focusing on the 2D aspect of this uh, with an understanding that 3D and the VR is there. And we're actually going to be experimenting within that, uh, but it's not, not quite there yet. Yeah. And with that, I mean, being said, I think it's interesting that there's so many ways you can go with the technology with game sense and if you look at other entrepreneurs and having kind of the same almost dilemma of like yeah this can apply to so many areas and you start in one area you have to you know have that focus and you obviously have started with that focus with baseball and softball and you mentioned tennis 
with these all these different markets though, with soccer, with volleyball, with different esports, whatever. I'm curious as to like, are you thinking about it from a market market size? Like, what are the factors? Is it market size? Is it you know what you can execute on? Where you have context? And like, I'm just curious as to like, what are some of those factors you're, you're thinking through as you're deciding on which markets are going to potentially be next? Because I know there's other entrepreneurs who could have value from this type of thought process, at least for how to even think about this type of thing. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a equation you're you're dealing with, right? Well, you got to make sure that you make money at the end. So I think all three of those that you mentioned, it's the location of it, right? Do you have to go into a foreign market? It's tougher. But yeah. if you have connections or, or feet on the ground there, that makes it easier. It's the, the size of that market. Uh, like we said, cricket, huge. Soccer, huge. Table tennis is actually huge. Does that mean we'll go into table tennis? I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> but it's a huge sport. Yeah. Uh, volleyball is big. Uh, ice hockey, not so much. But... There are other, you know, but maybe we know somebody there. Um, and then the, the last one is that the, the, the transference, right? Um, how easy is it to transfer your technology and the concepts to another sport? So we were talking about earlier uh, cricket. Yep, that makes a lot of sense from a baseball perspective. A uh, soccer goalie, a hockey goalie, those all make sense in what we're doing. Um, but it's, a, it's all three of those. Yeah, <laughs> we, we certainly have some ideas, and we'll let the the chips fall where they may when we we kind of make those decisions. I think. Yeah, and it's excited. It's, it's kind of like this this algorithm of sorts to decide on new markets and you know being strategic with that because you can if you're making the wrong decision on that. Uh, it can hold you back potentially. It can be more trouble than you thought it was going to be. Cash always a concern. That's why when I look at other companies and how they've executed, if you look at uh, you know whether you like them or not, but looking at a company like Uber and how they executed city by city and the strategy that went behind that, I mean, it was pretty impressive to look yeah. at how they've done it. You know, and just from a pure like business perspective, uh, that's interesting. Even looking back back in the day with Facebook and them going to you know university by university, and if a university didn't take it, they'd go to a nearby university, and then the other universities would want that their product. So it's like. That strategy is is fascinating to me. So I'm almost kind of curious about that. And and one thing I want to uh, discuss briefly too, like you hadn't been a, a founder before. You had all this experience in in the psychology and in sports, but you weren't a founder before. How? <laughs> what's been, I guess, the biggest challenge of of being this first time founder? Is everything an acceptable answer? <laughs> um, that's that's one. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I think founders, previous founders know that already, right? So they're willing to put in the time, the effort, knowing that this is going to be a really tough and long slog, most likely. Um, so I'm learning this now. I've relied on other people to help me through this, for sure. I think the key to, to, to any successes we have is the team. So you have to have a, a team there that it has done that. It's really tough to do it. And we were doing it for, for a while, certainly with some aspect of it, but who, people have never done this before. That's really yeah. tough. And you need that learning experience to, to start to understand. So, But when you have experts and, and advisors there that have already done that, now you don't need to learn that, right? You can learn it uh, vicariously through what they've already done. So it, it's definitely tough. Uh, and even if you said, okay, you're going to be a business person, 15 years ago, I would have said, whatever. I would have <laughs> never imagined that. Yeah. Um, but I love it. I, I love business. I think one of the reasons is because it involves two of my favorite subjects. Math, in the end, the numbers have to be there, and psychology and behavior. In the end, business really is, in my opinion, is influencing thought and behavior. Yeah. I mean, that's everything. <laughs> I mean, you look at everything and it's all a buying decision, a purchase decision. Why would a user use this product? Why would they continue to? Why would they, you know, what, how do you evolve retention around that? And, you know, if you've, I don't know if you've seen the, the Netflix documentary, uh, the new one about the, the social dilemma. Um, there's so much on, on that side of things uh, in terms of business, the psychology and why people are doing what they do. And people are all just trying to influence that in terms of business which becomes a very interesting game to play. <laughs> Indeed. 
And and one thing uh, I'm always curious about, especially uh, even with the first time founders as well. I mean, you know, you mentioned people have been helpful for you, and the network is huge, as we've talked about earlier and before the interview. But in terms of books, have there been any books that have been helpful, personal or professional for you? You know, <laughs> kind of a cop out. I don't. <laughs> I read books, and I like to read books. I don't get to read books as much as I'd like. And there sure. have certainly one uh, you can't. What is it? You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar, something like that. <laughs> there was an old one. Oh, gosh. A really old one. What is it? It's like how to win friends and, friends influence, and influence people. people. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carnegie, I want to say. That was, I just recently read that and I was like, oh, man, this is this is really obvious. And I think it's, it's absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, but then I read The Economist pretty religiously. And I'd never read The Economist, which is a magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with, with it. Yeah. Um, and it has all kinds of stuff. It's tough for me to read only business or only that, but it's all there. And I think as you also need to understand what's going on in the world as well. So I think that's really helped me quite a bit. Another one that I read, read res- recently was about culture. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember. The guy is... Likes rap. He, he, uh, oh, Ben Horowitz. What you what you do is yeah, who you are. I think precisely. Yeah, exactly right. That's a good, really good book too. I like that. I even read. I remember when I was first getting into this was the Art of War. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. It's it's a good one. Yeah, which is also really interesting. It does apply itself to, and I and I often find myself going back and and thinking about some of those principles in that book. Um. No, I'd like, to, I'd like to read more. I wish I had more time. And then today we, we read a lot of articles too, you know, online. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's a huge part of it. And, and whether it be you're reading, you know, blogs or people are, there's a lot of really good newsletters out there. Uh, I'll give another plug for, for Holger and his company Blinkist. They have 15 million users and that they, they, they're all basically small bites of nonfiction. So like the, the best reviews of nonfiction books for that, that exact purpose. They want to help people learn. And for entrepreneurs, a lot of times, you know, strapped for time, that learning may be through like Audible with 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 audiobooks. It may be through podcasts. It may be through just quick bites a type of thing, like like, like with Blinkist, um, or like you mentioned, the Economist, and all these different news sources. Whatever it may be, like finding whatever works for you as an entrepreneur, where you can kind of continue to learn and progress. Because there's a lot of obviously doing on a day to day basis with a with a company when you're a founder you're always, you're doing dealing with people thinking of strategy all of that but then also continuing to learn and add perspectives i think is interesting and important as well and, and one of the last things i want to ask about tom is just how do you how do you recharge uh, away from work <laughs> i think that's a real key uh, you can't go can't go full speed for very long and we're forced to often even, you know, you, how often do you fall asleep thinking about stuff or you can't sleep as a result or you wake up in the middle of the night and you begin thinking about it and this prevents you from going back to sleep constantly, right? Yeah, all the time. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really, really, really important to just be able to shut off. And one of those times for me is actually quite frequent. And I think it's needed and I've tried to, you know, and I, anybody who works with me is encouraged the same. Uh, I take portions of Friday and part of the weekend off completely. And it's, for me, it's out of necessity because that's the day I have to, our our son is at home and we're both working parents working from home, but I take, you know, several hours that day and we're we're doing something together. Uh, So that's, that's really nice because I'm forced not to think about sure work creeps in every once in a while, but I'm not thinking about it too much because I'm getting to, to play with my son. So that's one way. And then I think I try to go kind of off the grid every once in a while as well to really get out there and force yourself not to think about it. And that's really when some of the best ideas come to you. Oh, yeah. You know? So we're fortunate. I grew up in Colorado. I really like being outdoors. Uh, it's a cool area out here. So hiking is a big thing for me. Um, and yeah, what else? Riding bikes. What do you do? I'm sure you have yeah. some things you got to do for stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I have a few things to your point of kind of being off the grid. I mean, I just went on literally last weekend, went on a a mini road trip just for a a day just to get out of LA, went to Monterey up the coast. You know, it was like a six, seven hour drive with my best, with my best friend who's been on the podcast, uh, Zach. And it was just to that exact point more ideas come from when you're not 
just in the day-to-day of work. And even uh, yesterday is another example. Uh, I spent like a couple hours at a park with just a notebook and right. thinking through strategy of what I wanted to do because you, you know there's so many ways so many r- ways you can go with your business. It's just like you mentioned with Game Sense and all these different industries that I find the kind of the writing journaling portion super helpful for me. And then the last bit being anytime I can play something like I'm a big fan of board games, so like playing like Settlers of Catan or something like that, that just you don't think about you can't think about work because you're so engrossed in the game itself. Yeah. And those types of things uh, I think help the most where you just really can't think about business because it's on your mind like 24 seven otherwise. Uh, and I think for me, that's been helpful. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, I'm a musician too. I forgot about that. So I definitely take a, and just pick a, a guitar and, and start to play a bit. I used to play ultimate Frisbee. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Oh yeah. I played it before. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Uh, Different. Too old for that. I think, you know, you bring up a really good point too, Justin, and that's about, you're in a park with a notebook. I assume you had your phone? I did, but it was uh, shut off. There you go. So, it, and I get in trouble for doing this sometimes because at points I just need to put my head down, right? And I'm just, yeah. I don't need this distraction. And I think it's so easy for us to be, and we see it, be lured away uh, attentionally. I'm doing something, oh, what was that thing? <laughs> so I'm, I'm a really big proponent. I'm older anyways. So I, I didn't even have a cell phone until I was probably like 33. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a long time ago. But I'm a big, definitely a big proponent of just not having my phone on me. I know my, my partners and business partners get, get mad at me for that because we need to, <laughs> often speed is, is key to this, no doubt about it. But back to the point, it, just on all the time, just unsustainable for us. And you'll see the result uh, in other uh, consequences that come out of that. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, it's also thinking about the big picture and with a startup, with a company, this is not something that just, it's a six month project. I mean, these things take years and years and a lot of people will spend, you know, they may spend decades potentially in their company, depending on what it is. And depending on obviously if it's VC back, there's different pressures on getting an exit and everything, but you could spend a very, very long time on this. And if you look at oh, I'm missing a little bit of the day-to-day with having my phone off to have my mental clarity and mental health so I can perform for years and years and years at a very high level. It's like that's worth it completely. <laughs> that's a good point. It's really an investment, right? Yeah. I'll spend uh, an hour today to, to save 60 minutes over you know two weeks or whatever, or a week. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That's very true. And, and Tom, where can people go to learn more about GameSense and then connect with you if they want as well? Yeah, absolutely. GameSenseSports.com. Uh, yeah, come visit us and check it out. It's certainly, our information is on there. You can contact me directly. I'd love to talk about fast, reactive decision-making with anybody out there. <laughs> Perfect. I would be sure to link all the things we mentioned here in the show notes at JustGoGrind.com slash podcast, all the socials and everything for GameSense Sports as well. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Justin, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.